name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So this video is obviously um, more on the serious side as we enter in the most holy week of the year for the church and for ourselves. And um, I wanted, this is probably going to be longer than the 15-minute one, so uh, hopefully I have time if you're watching this. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how to prepare for Holy Week, but more how to benefit from it actually than to prepare. Um, although this might help you in your preparation if you go in thinking about how to in advance prep for these things. I do this uh, every year. I think I'm more organized than I usually am for it this year. Um, but for those of you who haven't uh, had to talk about this, it might be beneficial to you. Uh, might help with your Sunday school kids as well, because this one's not really just for a particular age group. This is more for all of us. So in order to benefit from the Holy Week, first of all, um, is to know what's happening, right? Um, the church is stepping out and we're moving into the life of Christ step by step, day by day, trying to live it through him. It's possible that we actually took this ritual from Jerusalem and how they used to practice Holy Week in the 4th century. If you read um, the Journal of Igeria, she's a, um, a nun from uh, Spain in the 4th century, and she writes about how the church celebrated in Jerusalem during Holy Week because she went there for a pilgrimage, where they went to as many of the sites where things happened as possible. They prayed in those places, they did vigils in those places, they read Gospels, they read Psalms, um, much like what the church is trying to do on a very, very microscopic scale um, within the building. So as we said, the church is stepping out and really living in the moment. So before we get into the the readings, the rituals, the what can you do, is to remember what the days of Holy Week are that we're living through day by day. So of course, Sunday is Palm Sunday, where the Lord was received into Jerusalem and uh, was greeted as a king. He was greeted the same way that they greeted Judas Maccabeus during the rebellion, uh, the Maccabean rebellion, which speaks a lot to what they thought he was going to do. But these are the things we'll meditate on um, in the readings as they happen. So Sunday is Palm Sunday. Monday, and, and keep in mind that whatever we know happened during that week, we're trying to reenact that on some level or commemorate that on some level. Monday is the cursing of the fig tree, and the cleansing of the temple. I'm not going to meditate here. There will be meditations daily during the week on what each of those mean. Um, there will be short video clips that uh, I thank Daniel Shukri for working on with me um, on, on some of the meetings and meditations of those. But these are the events, right? On Tuesday, we focus on the parables of the kingdom, the reminder of the end of all, um, and also uh, continuing the narrative of the covenant and our breaking of it. Don't worry, I'm going to go through all this in a, in a second. Um, Wednesday is the setup of our Lord's betrayal by Judas, um, which is incidentally why we fast Wednesdays in the Wednesday and Friday scheme of things. And it was also the preparation of our Lord by the woman who anoints the Lord, identified in, in John's gospel as Mary, um, unnamed in other gospels. Covenant Thursday is a great feast of the church. It's the establishing of the new covenant, the establishment of Eucharist. Great Friday, we celebrate our redemption, the crucifixion of our Lord. 
On Saturday, we are celebrating that our Lord descended into Hades to free the souls from there. And obviously, Sunday is the Feast of the Resurrection. Um, but if you want to benefit, obviously, as you see, this next section is is, is readings. Um, then I'm going to talk about the rituals, just so you know where I'm going with this. Uh, then ways to benefit in church, given all that we've just dis that we'll have discussed. And then fifth and last will be ways to benefit outside of the building. So the readings, okay? Because there's so many of these, and I think a lot of us can get lost or tired um, or just thinking they're rep repetitious. But the readings are following a really important sequence. First is that they're they're going through the economy of our salvation, economy of the transfer being the transactions or the interactions, the, this history, this narrative of these these ways where God and man interacted, where we're looking at how God was working to save us. What is our story with God, right? So that's why it starts with the creation. You'll notice that um, we talk about the actual creation. Um, we'll read that narrative and there's um there's cool parts of the commentary for some of these for example after the creation is the fall and in one of the commentaries is this almost uh play or dramatization of the interaction between god um adam eve and the serpent so we read about creation the fall the flood the covenant the receiving of the law the Passover, the request for a king, the breaking of the long covenant, the prophets coming in in there to talk about it, the exile, the captivity, and then the promise of the new covenant. That's the zoom through. Because what we're trying to get at here is why this is all happening, right? Why is Holy Week happening? You won't understand Holy Week if you don't go back to the garden. Right? You won't know what's happening or why this is happening if we don't go back to the narrative of where did we come from. Right, In the same way, for example, if somebody just points out the Constitution of the United States or the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada without understanding the context in which it was, you're just pointing out a random document, you're pointing at a random event. If you want to discuss amendment rights, not that I'm interested in doing that, um, you would need to know where the document came, why it came from, why are there guns? Right, is that the church is also saying you can't understand the economy of the incarnation without understanding the whole story of where we come from and why it happened. Why are we in exile? What happened? Right. And so as you're reading, pay attention to be like, what is the story telling us? Right. If you go through it, you'll see that God didn't create wanting there to be a special people. Everyone was his people. We're all the children of God. Right. When we fell, we chose sin, we we strayed from him. Right. But then there's this reboot in the flood. Right. That didn't work. And so God was searching all humanity saying, is there anybody who wants me? Is there anyone who's willing to work with me? And in that he found Abraham and Abraham was ready to make a covenant with God. And this is what we'll see on Thursday of I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Um, and after the covenant was made by generations, we received the law. Right, but before even receiving the law, is the event of this great Passover, and so we see the covenant and the Passover um, in the story of the Exodus, right, where everyone's child was spared because of the blood of these lambs, right, and we see that Abraham's son 
was spared. And this will all typify and signify that the only begotten son would not be spared. He would not be passed over. He would pass us over. And so we see this great escape. The Lord freed these people from their slavery, from the slavery of, of bondage, which we can take symbolically, our personal bondage to sin, to Satan, to the world, and escaped through great miraculous and wondrous acts that we'll also read about. And that then the Lord says, well, remember the covenant. And so he gives us the law, the law showing us what it meant to be healthy, what it meant to be whole, what it meant to be if we were as we were in the paradise. But the people aren't happy with that, as we see, and they request a king. They don't want God. They're saying, you know what? Yeah, yeah God's fine, but we want to be like everybody else. We want a kingdom. So they seek the kingdom, right? Um, and God lets them have that, as we see in the readings. But then the people still break the law. They break this covenant that they made. There's an agreement made, right? And again, I don't want to over-reflect on these. These are the points of the sermons throughout the week. You can read about them in various places or listen to sermons on them. But I'm just giving the bird's eye view quickly. And so throughout their history, as they keep on straying from their covenant, God keeps sending them warnings. And these are where the prophets come in. So read the prophets in context of that, of there's somebody saying, hey, hey, this is not what we agreed on. Why are you doing this? If you're breaking your side, God has every right to break his side. Um, eventually, um, they're taken to exile captivity. And then you start to see the murmurs, and all these are in the readings, of God whispering to the people, sometimes not really just whispering, I'm coming for a new covenant. This covenant is broken. So the prophets are coming in and out of particular times of that history, of different kings and periods of that history. And the prophecies are moving um, from rebuke to the people of how, why are you doing this, how are you doing this, to pleadings, to then promises about the new covenant, right? Also pay attention to the readings on special events like the Le'an, right, the water um, service on Covenant Thursday. The readings will be matching the service that we're doing. On Great and Bright Saturday, for example, the Saturday of Light, the readings are about people who are on the verge of dying, just because we're on the verge of death, right? And who were suddenly saved. And that's why all the stories are people who were, things were supposed to go badly, and there's a last minute save. That's what we're doing on Joy Saturday. So try and understand the readings. So those are the Old Testament readings. In the New Testament readings, where appropriate, they're trying directly to the Old Testament prophecies. So you might notice, for example, that there was a reading about Noah, and then there'll be a reference to Noah in the New Testament reading as well. Um, they um, are also going through the daily events that our Lord went through, as we said, um, or um, in other places, pointing at the events that led to his betrayal and murder that happens at the end of the week. So these are all tied together. So if we put it all together, right? These Old and New Testament readings. The church is telling the narrative of what we were meant to be, how we were meant to be, and placing it in the context of our real history with God. And we're seeing Christ as the solution to the dilemma of sin and death. And we're seeing him as the outreach of God to us as our hero, our redeemer, our rescuer, our God. So in every hour of Pascha, Try and what I call zoom in and zoom out, right? Where is this reading in the context of the overall narrative and the whole story, right? As well as zoom in on 
what's going on right here, right now in this particular reading, what's going on and what can I benefit and what can I learn from it? I'll be personally, in my sermons this year, meditating mostly for at least Monday through Wednesday or Sunday through Wednesday on the day of the Lord, which you'll see constantly coming up in the readings. When creation comes face to face with this creator, you too, if paying attention to the readings, will see the importance of understanding this concept. I know some people find the readings negative, and of course they are, right? This is the one time of year where we really focus in on our role, humanity's role, in our God's crucifixion. We're also responsible for what happened, even if we're divorced from it in time. And it's important that we step out to see what we have done as a people and to then glorify God who, in spite of us, saved us, right? We're not saying that God is asking us to, to grovel at his feet, right? We're looking at it as, as the perspective we have wronged him and we should be at his feet. Think of it like a cheating spouse, right? Is that I should go beg for my spouse's mercy, even if they're not demanding me to do that, right? I just want to differentiate God's request for us to do this versus us doing it from our own um, movement of the heart of the soul towards our creator, who we love. So those are the readings. The rituals. The rituals of, of, of Holy Week, I think, are actually very cool, um, especially when, when understood. Um, first of all, we have the sanctuary veiled. Okay, the curtain is up, we are out, and everything goes black, which is also in itself unusual for the church, right? Everything is black, and we are outside the temple. We are now living in time as much as possible with Christ. In liturgy, we step out of time. We're in the timeless, okay? We're now living in the time with Christ before the reconciliation, so the altar is closed. The Old Testament readings were clouded in types and figures and symbols, and so they were veiled, and so also we have the veil up. This is also incidentally why throughout the year during Lent, during Nineveh, whenever we read the prophecies, we step out of the sanctuary, close the veil, and turn off the lights. We're entering into the, 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 the time of the Old Testament where everything is veiled and not understood without the light of Christ. Christ was crucified. He was led outside of Jerusalem, and so we exit Jerusalem. We exit the sanctuary for the services. The creed um, I believe there might have been um, there a synodal decision about it. I'm aware that some churches and some churches don't. But the creed, I grew up with the creed being modified before this decision came out. So we would say, we believe on Jesus Christ who was born of the Virgin, who was crucified. Stop. Right? But we wouldn't go into rose from the dead, ascend to the heavens, etc. The creed would stop there as it, this we're living in the very moment of it. Right? Um, I think that has been stopped. But the liturgy is also modified. There's no prayer of reconciliation said on Thursday, coming on Thursday or bright Saturday. We don't say sotis amin on Thursday. We don't say saved, right? That we're still living this moment by moment. We know overall we've been saved, but it's the church stepping out, right? Um, we break this liturgical, uh, actually before I get Thursday, um, no sacramental or standard source prayers are prayed during the week, right? We don't have daily liturgy. You don't do a liturgy on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. What I was about to say is we break that on Thursday for institution of the Eucharist, right? But there's no funerals. There's no funeral services. We did that on Sunday. There's no confessions. 
I know many people break this, but there is there's actually supposed to be no sacramental work that's done, right? There's no unction of the sick. We did it before the week. We did it um, leading up uh, to Holy Week. Uh, we don't do saint commemorations, right? We don't do venerations. We don't do tamgits. Everything stops. We are solely and completely with the Lord. Some people like this next one. There is no Egbeya um, during Holy Week. We replace the canonical hours with the hours of the Pascha. We pr- replace the 12 Psalms of each hour with the 12 proclamations of his power and glory, the 12 Thoktetigoms. There's a ritual on Tuesday night. Um, I grew up uh, doing this. In my visits, I asked some of the church. I didn't, I didn't remember to ask everybody, but... Many churches still follow this. Some people don't. But on Tuesday evening, because in the church day and in the Jewish day, Tuesday evening is is now Wednesday, there is no greeting with kisses or handshakes, right? Is that we're remembering that Judas betrayed the Lord with a kiss, and so we don't do that. Obviously, we don't think greeting is intrinsically evil. Obviously, use your discretion if your young child doesn't understand it. But there's something beautiful about doing this ritual of saying, of drawing your physical attention, we're talking about how to benefit here, to it was something this simple, this casual, that was used to betray the Lord, right? There's something deep about us refraining, right? The rituals of Friday um, are very moving, especially if you're living in the moment. When it says there was darkness over the whole earth, the lights go out immediately. Um, When we go to do the burial, the burial has moved into the sanctuary. Now deacons are standing on either side of the Lord's body, even as the angel stood by the Lord's body. We do prostrations, right? 400 of them um, on Great Friday. And we have the procession of the cross. And I'll talk a little bit more about um, those two in particular when we get to ways to benefit inside the church. Saturday, we have many processions, um, always with candles. It's Saturday of lights. Right. And so there's a million candle processions. Um, a lot of these processions actually used to be around the whole area, just like in Jerusalem. They they were from from holy site to holy site. There are churches that used to do this in the streets. There's a video um, I saw in St. Mark's Church in Toronto has some historical archives. If you have a chance to go see it, see it where um, even recently, Ambethanesius of Venezuela for blessed memory, even in his time, they were doing the Palm Sunday processions out in the streets. Um, even in Europe, this is not just a, an Orthodox tradition, but even the Catholics used to do this too. So think about what you're participating in in a procession. Um, ways to benefit in church. Number one, attend as many services as you can. Okay, Whether you're in the mood or not in the mood, be there. Right, we're mourning our Lord with Him. You don't always, when your friends are sick or somebody needs your company, feel like it. But doing it means something, right? Pay attention to the changes in the ritual that we talked about. That's why I was bringing up them, right? Is that to weigh the benefits is notice it, pay attention to it, meditate on it, jump into it, right? Um, draw connections. Um, to everything that's around you. Like, oh, that's why it's black. That's why it's white. That's why it's red, right? It, it, it can change things when you start to understand it, stand, stand it better. Um, I might be unpopular for this, but I personally strongly discourage. I'm very not for reading books um, other than the liturgical books 
during Pascha. Um, it is, it's a liturgy. It's called the liturgy of the Pascha. And so in the same way that we don't grab a book and read it on Sunday liturgy, um, I think it's preferable not to um, during Holy Week. Liturgy means the work of the people, and there's lots of work for us to do, and there's lots to read in the Pascha book. Now, some people will say, but the Psalms are so long. Indeed, they are. And you can use that time to your advantage, right? I would say pay attention to the readings. This is one of the ways to benefit in church. And during the psalm is one of the best times to do it because you have time. Use a long psalm to your advantage. Draw the connections. What we talked about earlier that I went through on fast forward on purpose. Now this is the time for you to zoom in on that right? Draw the connection between the prophecies and the psalm and the gospel. Draw connections between all of them. What's going on here? What is this here? What is, how does this connect, right? Write in your Paschal book. Make it yours, right? Underline the connection. I have arrows flowing everywhere in my Paschal book that I've kept from the, from the very first year I received it when it first came out at my church, right? When I fill that up, I have another one in front of me on my, on my desk. Um, to write more in, and yet I still keep the old one with me because I just can't not have it, right? Of boxes and squares and arrows of this psalm is referring to this in the gospel. And then another year, I see a different connection, right? How are the old connected to the new? Where do I benefit from this reading? Underline it, write in it, put my comments in it, put my repentance in it, put my misunderstandings in it, circle things that I have questions about, right? That book can be so intimate if you use it right, and you have all the time in the world during those psalms i actually often find i don't have enough time when the psalm is done so use it right have your own pascha book if you if you're doing it digitally i mean everyone's got a tablet now and an ipad and whatever use your stylus but then print out that book and make it yours right make it something sanctified make it something consecrated make it something different okay look for the themes right? The, the things that we talked about earlier, look for them, right? Pay attention to especially new readings that you might not be used to. The Wisdom of Sirach, the, the Deuterocanonical books. Um, you might be mind blown if you start paying attention to some of those prophecies, right? I think it's on Great Friday or Eva Friday where the lines of Wisdom of Sirach, they're just copy and paste of as happening in the gospel next. And we know that that book was written before Christ came. Right? That should be very compelling to you. And that might even make you have deeper spiritual moments when things start to click for you. It should be a big deal to realize that prophecies are made and fulfilled. That's a big deal. That's not a small deal. right? Imagine if, if, if someone came and told you, hey, in four weeks, on a Wednesday morning, someone will say X. You'd be mind blown if mind blown if it happened. So many things like that happen, but we don't seem to be as mind blown by those things, right? Um, meditate on a particular reading or particular theme. If your mind gets lost, just zoom in, right? Find something. There's there's a lot. You could consider creating a project for yourself through the readings if that's too much for you, right? One year I, I had an image of God in right project which was how do i find the image of god in this right what am i looking for and i mean the in dot 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 can be replaced by a whole bunch of things it could be a theme an idea a book prophecies new testament old like there's a million ways that you could fill in the blank for that and say so i'm going to specifically this holy week zoom in on this particular thing okay um 
you might consider a project of writing out for yourself a summary of the day's events and or themes, right? But you can make yourself busy using that holy book, right? There's no need to have to go outside of it. Um, I think those books are great, but maybe a better place to use them would be outside of the liturgy. But that's a personal uh, preference. It's not. I'm not overriding anybody's rule from their spiritual father. Um, Another way to benefit in church is to meditate on the hymns. They're long enough to give you time to do that. Pay attention to them, right? Pay attention. And there's lots of writings available now about these hymns. Um, there's, um, I know Amber Krulos put out books that have complimentary and include the hymns. I know there's sermons, but prepare for those, right? Um, pay attention to the way that the hymns change. And I'm saying this. Honestly, I'm not a strong or good hymns person. So you don't need to be a hymns guy or a hymns girl to be the one who who gets this, right? But when I'm paying attention, for example, if I ate off in, this is he. First of all, if you pay attention to this is he, you might notice the gospel reading that sets you up for this is he. When Christ says, when you see the son of man hanging on the cross or hanging, he doesn't say on the cross, with his hands extended, then you will know that this is he. And then we have a hymn called, This is He. Right? But if you start paying attention, not just to those th those words, but also the words, it's to say how the tune changes as the mood of the church is crying out in prayer. When we scream out, right, for the salvation, the tune changes completely. Right? We are crying out. And if you are paying attention to the readings and then to the words and then to how we're singing, it might get you right? I, who am not amazing at hymns, they, they get me, right? Pay attention to when the hymn is happening, right? It blew my mind when we were seeing, when I was, I used to always stand in the same place at my home church in, in Canada, when we were singing Taishori, and then Abuna would vest and put on the priestly garment, right? To then offer worship before the icon of the crucifixion, where I'm like, oh, this, this is the priestly hymn, and this is when the priest is standing and offering before the high priest, right? The priest who is now offering himself, which is Christ. And suddenly, even something like Taishuri that we sang almost every week took on a new meaning for me, a new depth, right? Um, pay attention deeply to the words. O Monoganese, the words, um, they're very powerful. Right? They're retelling part of the narrative that we talked about. But when we're standing in front of Christ crucified, and we're saying, holy God, identifying him as God, right? who in weakness has shown what is greater than might. Meditate on it. Right? I don't know if you know, but the cross, I mean, the cross back then is today like the electric chair. Imagine when you're proclaiming an image of an electric chair as a place of glory, but it's because the cross is glorified by him who is on it, right? That our Lord crucified is what has sanctified that cross. Pay attention, right? Pray the litanies with the church. Most of us, that was the time we wanted to take off because they're long and I get it. Um, but don't run off, 
Instead, pray, actually pray the litanies, right? The litanies were commemorating every single kind of person. People who are in prison, people who are in dungeons, people who are in captivity, people who are sick, people who are tired, people who have no home, people who have no money, people who are in drought, for the safety of the world, for peace. We're praying for all these things. People complain that we that prayers aren't relevant. Well, every kind of prayer is there. They're, they're relevant. So pray them. Do prostrations for the morning ones. Keep in your mind those who are in those positions, right? I remember, I, I, I know I overused this comment, but... I used to think pray for the captivity and those the, by barbarians was a ridiculous prayer. And then ISIS came and I realized it was not a ridiculous prayer, right? That these are things that are real. Pray the litanies with the church, right? Try, especially on Great Friday, do as many matanias as you physically possibly can. Think about what we're doing. We're proclaiming the mercy of God and his victory his life-giving sacrifice to the world. We're proclaiming that we're not ashamed of the cross on the one hand, but on the other, we're proclaiming our unworthiness of the cross and begging for mercy for us causing the cross. Really pray, Lord, have mercy. Those are some things in the church. Outside of the church, Take as much time off as you can. Whatever you can attend, attend, right? Come be at the feet of Christ with him. Whatever you can't, you can't. Turn off your phone and make people aware that your phone will be off. Message only what is absolutely mandatory for work, school, parents, family, etc. Only what's absolutely necessary, right? If you can take off after pastoral services, do it. Don't don't socialize. Make it solemn, right? Um, I do this, by the way. I, it's sometimes uncomfortable for, to people, but as much as possible. You don't have a duty or an obligation. Stay quiet with Christ. Turn off social media for socializing use. Get rid of it. If there's a mandatory use or if, if that's where you're able to get the the links for the sermon or something, okay, use it, but go in for that one task and go, right? And don't linger on anything. Turn off the music, the podcast, the audiobooks, the streaming, the TV, the movies, all of it. It's gone. Turn it off. This is one week, right? One week, just get rid of it. You won't be able to do all the above that we talked about when your mind is everywhere except where we need to be. Right, let the senses for the first time, probably this year, sometimes possibly ever or in years, let all of your senses only receive something good. Experience what it's like to have only good input. It changes you, even if you're bored out of your mind, and you'll see it. Right, decorate your room and your home to match church. Right, if you can as a family. Make your Holy Week station, right? Put black up, put gold crosses up, make it Paschish. At one point, my my prayer room in the house that I had back home, I painted it black with gold crosses. I know that might be extreme to some people. I'm not asking you to do that. But that's how much the Paschal mood affects me, right? That it, it does something physically to bring me in the space of wanting holiness, right? Let your externals help your internal, Right? Do that to your house, do it to your room, put up the crucifixion icon, put things up, make it holy, 
have gold crosses on your holy on your Pascha book. Put stickers like the one I'm handing them out during Pascha, like the one that's in the background right now. Put those where you can see them, right? Make the externals match the desired internal. Follow the readings even for the hours that you are missing, right? Read them during break, read them during lunch. In fact, even if you're going to be at church, if you can pre-read it, great. Because then you'll have a second run through in church, something will go in deeper. But just do it. Whatever sin you're particularly attached to, hopefully you've been working on it throughout all year and especially Lent. But this week, don't do it. Whatever the sin is, just don't, right? Be strict with yourself, right? Bring it into subjection. Refrain from desserts and tasty food as much as possible. Be as ascetical as you can, right? In the same line of thought be as silent as you can no joking around no talking a lot be as somber and to yourself as you can manage live the agony with him now i know people think that this might be extreme and christ wants us to be happy and and and, and i get it right but this is a week where we're saying let's live it through like it's happening right now Think of a friend of yours is on the verge of dying. You're not going to be meeting up with friends to play games or joke like crazy. Most people can't eat when their family is going through a crisis, right? They don't know how to concentrate. They don't know how to joke around. When they do, it's escapism. It's not, yeah, yeah, ha, 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 right? Your heart would be heavy for the one you care about. I'm saying try, try and do that for Christ. You'll benefit something different when you do that. Meditate throughout the day throughout each day of Pascha, where your life with him, specifically with him, is. Think about how grateful or not you have shown that you are for him and everything he's done throughout the year. This is where all of we talk about can come in, right? Where you're, you've got these inputs, you've got the story fresh, you've got the, the readings fresh, you've got the visuals fresh to say, what am I doing? Where am I? What's my relationship like with him? Is this the only week of year where I'm kind of with him? If so, what can I do when I walk out of here that we're still in contact? Imagine if I'm only with somebody because they're sick and then I peace out and I couldn't care less about them after. Do I have a relationship with them? Right? Think about where you fall short. And maybe maybe even part of the exercise during the readings can be, how do I plan for how I can be committed to growth even when the week ends? Where are the places that now that I'm removing all the negative, where are those places that are really affecting me that I can make plans for how I can be better afterwards? I'm sorry that this was long, but I think if we can do this, if we can consecrate our mind and our body and our thoughts for this week of the year, you will come out all the richer and you will feel every moment of his pain, but you will also feel the incredible joy and power of the proclamation of Christos Anesti and the joy of the church and the joy of the apostles when he are, when he is risen and when we see him appear again of saying he is not dead. He has destroyed death on our behalf for us that we might have life and life more abundantly in him, with him, and for him. To him be glory now and always the age of all ages. Amen. Um, there will be more announcements to follow. Um, after this holy week um, with where things are at there's some moving pieces i ask your prayers for me for my family for this whole region um may god bless this pascha 
and make it abundantly rich to the edification of all.